All right, so Matt, I've realized that I can't take my dog to the park anymore because every time I do, the ducks there are always trying to bite him. And I guess that's what I get for getting a dog that's purebred. <laughs> Man, I did not know where you were going with that at all. <laughs> Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is Graveyard Tales. All right, everybody, here we are again. Matt, how you doing tonight, brother? Man, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, feeling good, uh, ready to roll tonight. Heck yeah, me too, man. So before we get into it real quick, I want to thank our sponsors, Best Fiends and Do No Harm. We'll talk more about both of them in just a little bit. Um, also, wanted to thank Podbelly. We are part of the Podbelly Network. Go to podbelly.com to get information on recording a podcast or to find other podcasts that you might be interested in. Um, Now, Matt and I have said this for a while now, but we want to reiterate that we need you to send in your Christmas stories if you want us to read them on our Christmas episode. Um, Go ahead, get them in. We need to probably have them in by December 7th or something along those lines so that we can get them formatted for the show. We can record the show, edited, all that good stuff. So if you've got a story that you want, we've already gotten quite a few um, so it's looking like it's going to be a good episode. But if you want to get yours in, try to get it in as soon as you can. Type it up and email it to us. You can send it over to graveyardtalespodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, because we're uh, we're only looking at a few weeks um, before it's going to be time for us to record this show so we can get it out before Christmas. So uh, we look forward to this every year. So please get them in. We, uh, we, we want to read them and we, we want to have time to... To, to read them and digest them and and get them in into the show like we need to so uh so yeah send them on yep um so matt real, real quick before we start the show i got to tell you this now we're in the business of talking about scary stuff and and researching scary stuff and trying to scare people yeah well here's the thing for most of that stuff i've gotten i wouldn't say numb but I've gotten to where it doesn't freak me out all that much. <laughs> like I can get over it pretty quickly. Yeah, we you, you tend to get a little jaded to this stuff after a while. Right, exactly, exactly. Well, the thing that I, I wanted to share with you that really freaks me out, and like, I mean, I'm not even kidding. This is 100% a fear of mine. I'll never have to worry about it, I don't think. But I, I picture this with me, okay? You're an astronaut, and you're doing a a spacewalk. So you're in your spacesuit. You're outside of the space station, and you're tethered to the spaceship. Yep. Something happens, and your connection to the spaceship is broken. So now you're not tethered to the spaceship anymore, and you start to drift. Yeah. And there's nothing you can do. You can't swim. 
toward the ship because there's nothing to push off of to actually make traction to get you back, right? Right. And you're not headed toward Earth. If you were headed toward Earth, you'd go into the atmosphere, you'd burn up, you'd die. You know, right. be yeah. quick. Okay. You're headed away from Earth. And there's nothing you can do. So you just start floating endlessly backwards into nothing until you die. And when do you die? I don't know. It could be... When you run out of oxygen. Yeah. And, and so <laughs> however long that is, you know, um, or till you... You know, so what do you do? Like, do you open your spacesuit and just be, be like, be done with it, or end it now? Yeah, or do you just float until the inevitable happens? I mean, I honestly, I get the heebie-jeebies when I think about that. Like, I watch these space documentaries or or astronauts doing stuff, and I I could not do it because I would be, I have a fear of heights. Well, apparently, I have a. <laughs> I yeah, have a fear you're of space high too. There. Yeah, uh, I have a fear of space too. Apparently, because yeah, and I man, I literally like my heart will start racing when I think about that. It just that is one of my biggest fears. It's funny that you bring that up because I've I've had the same thought. You know, watching something about space or anything, I've had. I was like, man, what if you just start drifting away? That's got to suck. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's like I'm I'm drifting away. Yeah. You know, hey, there's nothing you can do. Me. Yeah, there's probably not enough tether for me to do it either. Right, you know, but like I got to have a tether and then a backup tether and a jet pack mm-hmm. and another tether and a tether yep. for the jet pack. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> by the time I'm done, I look like I'm in a spider web out there. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. I I couldn't do it, and you know, so. Props to the brave men and women who do do it, but no kidding. Uh, I that freaks me out, and I thought, you know, I should talk about this on the show because I can't be the only person that has that fear. Um, so if if y'all have ever thought about that, like Matt and I have, uh, let us know because uh, I'd be interested to know how many other people have have that fear, or yeah. thanks to me now have that fear after hearing this. I'm trying to remember if it was, I think it was one of the alien movies um, that had a tagline that in space, no one can hear you scream. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm fairly certain it was alien. Maybe the original or, or aliens, the the sequel, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it was one of those. But yeah, I was always thinking about that in space, no one can hear you scream. Yeah, in space, <laughs> no one can help you. Period. I mean, that's right. <laughs> even if they heard you scream, they couldn't. They couldn't help you. Yeah, it's like there used to be a there used to be a comic strip, like an old old comic strip that were that were two dudes that were falling down a bottomless pit. Oh, and, geez. And they were they were next to one another. Yeah. And they would just have these conversations, you know. And you'd see the sides. It's like there were little houses built on the side, like people had <laughs> fallen down the pit and like made it over to the edge and just stopped. Yeah, and we're just living there, and they're just falling straight down, and they're just like, you know, their hair's going up, you know, <laughs> they're just like, well, what do you think about this? You know? <laughs> it's like you're floating out in space, and you come across another dude in a suit, you're like, yep. hey man, <laughs> yep. how long have you been out here? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that man, that no heebie-jeebies. Adam. Let's talk about 
one of tonight's sponsors, Best Fiend. Now, when when I have just taken in all of the paranormal knowledge that I can possibly stand, and I, I need to just uh, cleanse my palate, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Best Fiends has become a great way to do exactly that. I mean, oh yeah, it, it is it is a fun, casual game that you can just pick up and play, and you you, you don't really have to think a whole lot. Uh, you can just get in there and enjoy those those wild, colorful characters uh, and attack some slugs and, and kill some time. <laughs> You know, it's it's a right. it's a lot of fun, and I know uh, you know um, Amanda and I play it. She can whip my tail. <laughs> She's oh, yeah. so far ahead of me, but it really is a good way to just you know break away from you know the monotony of whether it's you know work or in our case research. Right, exactly. Like you said, um, Ashley's way better at it than I am. Just like Amanda is way better at it than you are. And I don't know what that says about our mental capacity, but um, we're always fighting to keep up with them, uh, whether it's, you know, laying in bed before uh, before we go to sleep, trying to catch up to what level they're on or not. But with over 100 million downloads, this five-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. There's more levels, events, and challenges that get added all the time. So they say, you know, play away. There's always another level. You're never going to end this thing, which, I mean, that's good because there's some games you're like, I don't want to play it all the time because I'm going to come to the end of it. And then what am I going to do? Well, you don't have to worry about that. They're always adding new levels. So if you like a good challenge, Best Fiends at this moment gives you over 5,000 of them, always adding more. Now, you can download Best Fiends for free today on the Apple App Store or on Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. That's right. Download Best Fiends free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Anyway, uh, let's get on with what tonight is about. So, Matt, why don't you tell us, what are we talking about tonight? So tonight we're we're gonna dig into a topic that we have mentioned on the show before a long time ago, uh, but we never really dug into it much. And you know, this is a topic that has been covered, um, you know, by other shows. I know some some we've got some friends that do shows that have covered this, and we we kind of felt like this was this was a good time for us to uh, put our two cents in. Uh, we're going to discuss the Beast of Bray Road. Oh, yeah. Now, we mentioned the Beast of Bray Road way back when in our werewolf episode, mm-hmm. but that was about all we did was we mentioned it, and I think we may have shared a a, a one sighting, but we're going to really, we're going to go into some things about what this this thing might be and how how common it was to to have been cited and kind of give you our opinion on um on what's going on in Wisconsin. Right. So so yeah, we've mentioned it a time or two and it dogmen in general have now, you know, kind of worked their way up in my list of Adam's favorite cryptids. 
and they they're pretty much a tie for the first spot with Bigfoot. Um, I, I always have this affinity for bipedal hominid type creatures, you know. So dogmen are up there in, in the top, and this is just one example of dogmen sightings from around the world. They they happen worldwide, and the Beast of Bray Road is just that local beast, but it's got a lot of attention. And so, Matt, I may some some way down the line cover like dogmen in general. You know, do just a dogmen, wolfmen type episode. But for now, we'll we'll dip our toes in the waters with the Beast of Bray Road here. So, what is the Beast of Bray Road? Well, the Beast of Bray Road, as as I said, is a hairy hominoid with canine features, and it usually ranges sightings say from six to nine feet tall. And picture like a large gray wolf or a dire wolf that has stood up on its back legs and it will have the knees, quote unquote, that bend seemingly backwards. Mm -hmm. Um, And usually its front arms are carried out kind of in front of it. Like if you had your dog stand up for a treat, how their paws go out in front of it with their feet kind of pointing down a little bit that would that's kind of how it's said to stand and walk because it it's like a i mean it's a dog you know big wolf standing on two legs basically um but the head is usually bigger in proportion than a wolf's would be and you know big mane like a wolf so it's it's kind of, I think, if you think werewolf, you'll understand dogmen. But dogmen are not werewolves. That's <laughs> and, right. You know, funnily enough, I, I went into Michael's room last night. We're doing this episode, and I find this statue that hey, I don't even know yeah. where he got it, but it looks very similar to what the Beast of Bray Road would look like. It's It's a werewolf dogman type statue for those of you not watching the video i think he may have intercepted your cryptid crate you know he may have (laughs) and if that's the case he and i need to have a talk (laughs) (laughs) but uh the beast of bray road has been sighted in wisconsin dating all the way back to at least 1936 on a rural road outside of elkhorn wisconsin And I say at least back to 1936 because, you know, that's the earliest that we have written documentation of. But there are Native American legends and stuff from further back. um, But we probably won't get into those. Now, let's talk about Elkhorn for a a minute here, Um, because this it's this is going to be an episode that is sighting heavy because. There's not a whole lot of history that I can tell you that doesn't, you know, run into the sighting. Involve a sighting exactly. thing. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So it's going to be very sighting heavy. So Matt's going to have a lot of legwork he's got to do here uh, in the second part of the episode. But, you know, go down to the bottom of the show notes. You can follow along uh, with our sources or, you know, find the other sightings that we've left out. But. 
to understand this area, we need to look at Elkhorn a little bit. And Elkhorn is a city in Walworth County, Wisconsin, and it has a population of about 10,019 people as of 2019. Uh, the median age of Elkhorn is about 37 years old, and it's 40 miles southwest of Milwaukee. So not too far from Milwaukee. Um, pretty populous area there. Well, in 1836, Colonel Samuel Phoenix spotted a rack of elk antlers that were stuck in a tree. And so he said, well, this area is going to be Elkhorn. Yeah. Which. That's good. Seemed, yeah. I mean, seems a little weird because those are antlers, not horns, but whatever. We're not going to discuss yeah. taxonomy. At least, he, at least he didn't see like, a, you know, the, the back end of a goat hanging out of a tree. You know, yeah. we're going to call this goat butt. Yep. This is uh this area will now be known as Goat Sphincter. <laughs> Goat Sphincter. What yeah. a hole. <laughs> yeah. Man, this is a dump. <laughs> oh man. We got in the brains of twelve year old boys, Matt. So Yeah, I know. We I live with one. Yeah, so right. I'm used to that all the time. <laughs> yep. Well, by 1846, uh, there was the first town meeting that was held in Elkhorn. And at that time, Elkhorn already had a population of 539 people. So 36 years or 36 years, 10 years after it got its name, it already had 539 people. Yeah, hot spot. Oh, yeah. Uh, in 1851, it became the home of the Walworth County Fair, deemed as one of the best county fairs in the nation. And today, the event draws over 100,000 visitors to the city. So it's a happening place. Um, so the fair brings in like 10 times the population? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Much. Can you imagine what that city looks like during the fair? Just there ants on be, an ant cannot, hill. cannot be enough toilets. No, <laughs> that many people. No, not at all. <laughs> if you if you got about just under eleven thousand people and a hundred thousand are coming, you know you got to be thinking, where are they going to go to the bathroom? <laughs> yeah, the sanitation department gets very busy. These lines are going to get really long. Uh huh. You better Port pee before you go. Porta potties lining the streets. <laughs> Now, the Beast of Bray Road was actually brought to the attention of people around the world when Linda S. Godfrey started reporting on it and then wrote her book detailing encounters with the Beast. So she wrote the book, The Beast of Bray Road. Um, so obviously, that's one of our sources um, for this is her book and her website. Um, and we reached out to Linda, but she's super busy, so she wasn't able to get back to us in time for... Uh, this episode, but hopefully we can talk to her in the future and dive in on this again. But let's talk about Linda real quick. Uh, she first started reporting uh, about the beast on December 29th, 1991, when she worked as a reporter for the now defunct newspaper, The Week, that was based in Delavan, Wisconsin. Now, the first look that most people got of the beast was from her sketch kneeling roadkill and i'll put a picture of that on um our patreon page so that you can go check it out she did a sketch in that newspaper uh, for that article 
And that was actually the first look that most of the world got of seeing the beast outside of the people that had witnessed it. Now, to quote from her website, it says, quote, at the time, I considered the Beast of Bray Road sort of a throwaway story for a slow news week. But the article inspired many people to come forward and say they had seen the same thing and not always recently. Some of their sightings in the Bray Road area were up to 10 years earlier with one possibly related event about 40 miles away in Jefferson County dating back to 1936. Now, 24 years and hundreds of sightings later, four of my 16-plus published books are dedicated to sightings of this and similar upright canines reported nation and worldwide. But that first story showed that something big, hairy, and wolfish roamed the, co- the county roads and woods of Walworth, Jefferson, and Racine counties. The first witnesses to come forward publicly saw the creature on or near Bray Road, a few miles outside Elkhorn, Wisconsin, so I dubbed it the Beast of Bray Road. Now we know the same sort of creatures roam the entire U.S. and the world. Similar sightings continue to present, and I've been interviewed for scores of radio and TV shows, including national shows like Monster Quest, Lost Tapes, Mystery Hunters, Michigan and Wisconsin Public Radio, Coast to Coast AM, and Sci-Fi's New In Search Of. So, yeah, as, as we mentioned earlier, these dogmen or wolfmen are, you know, they've, they've come into people's conscience, I guess, now all around the world because there's sightings of them everywhere. Right. And, you know, that makes me wonder, Matt, going back to our werewolf episode, could what people were saying were werewolves be actual dogmen sightings or is it two different things? And and we can talk about that a little later if you want to, but that's the thing that's always popped into my head when I'm researching dogmen or, or reading one of Linda's books is, are we seeing the, the reason for werewolf sightings? And that's how, you know, that's how they explained it years ago, you know, centuries ago, or is it something totally different? I don't know. I I like it. I like that idea. Um because I really I can really get behind the idea of of a cryptid a, a lot more than than a human wolf hybrid. Yep, exactly. You know that can change back and forth. Not and and you know as, as you can go back and listen to our werewolf episode. I mean there were very specifics when it comes to werewolf lore. Mm-hmm. And you know we we all know the the stories about the full moon and 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 you know the the changeover and, and all that stuff. The idea that that is even possible is much harder for me to to accept than it is for me to accept this you know a, a large bipedal dog type creature yeah. that you know, could be, um, you know, unidentified or even, you know, have not maybe human-like intelligence, but at least, you know, higher intelligence than the average dog, which we know dogs can be very intelligent. Yep. You know, so if, if we step it up a few notches, you know, maybe there is a creature that can avoid detection, you mm-hmm. know, as, as far as, you know, uh, some... 
you know, a passerby catches a glimpse of me or I'm, I'm, you know, on the road and somebody drives by and their headlights, you know, catch the image of, of, a of this creature, uh, you know, but as far as routine people going out and hunting for something like this, they're, they're not finding it because it, it, it's smart enough to avoid detection. Well, and something to think about, too, is let's say uh, the bipedal canids, they're not always bipedal, right? Right, yeah. So when you see something out in the woods, it it's going to see you before you see it. So it has time to drop to all fours. And it would then just look like a regular wolf or a regular, really large dog, right? And, yeah, because it so, doesn't have like human hands or anything. It still has the paws. So what if it drops down? And that's how. That's why we don't have any evidence of it. And if one dies, it, there's going to be no way to tell that it's a, a, a bipedal. Because if it dies and the body's laying there, it's just going to look like a wolf. Yeah. Yeah. And you had mentioned, you know, the the dire wolf earlier Mm -hmm. which so you know we have evidence that you know a dire wolf is not a cryptid you know it it was an actual creature you know and you know we're talking about you know the size of a dire wolf could be anywhere from you know three and a half to four feet tall from ground to shoulder with it with it standing on all fours right so, I mean, you know, I've, I've seen dogs, regular dogs that big. I mean, I have seen German shepherds that are enormous. Yep. And Danes and, and Irish wolfhounds. And yeah, I mean, you, you know, a, a dog that could, you know, I'm, I'm just over six foot tall, a dog that could come up and put its paws on my shoulders and lick me square in the face. Yep. So, you know, the idea of a creature that, could stand up on its hind legs and reach a height of between six and seven feet tall. It, it's not out of the realm of possibility. Exactly. We, we know that a creature this size that matches this description to some degree did exist. Right. At, at some point in time. Right. Exactly. Now, to go on with my notes here, um, it was originally labeled the Beast of Bray Road sightings they were originally labeled as a werewolf in the local folklore and that's why we were kind of talking about that but many cryptozoologists just call it a bigfoot like creature which i find sort of ridiculous because like like we're gonna we're gonna talk about this several times in this episode but the descriptions are of a dog like or wolf like creature standing on two legs now i understand if you get like a look of it from the back, just from like the waist up, you might think it's Bigfoot because if you're only getting a back view, then all you see is this hairy bipedal something walking. Um, But like all of these bipedal canids, it's said to have, like we said before, these skinny dog-like legs that it's walking on, knees bending backwards, and the four limbs hanging out in front of it. So for you to push off these, oh, pfft, it's not a canid, it's Bigfoot, is a little weird. And and we'll save that discussion for a little bit later because we got more to say about that. But I thought it was interesting that 
the original lore was werewolf. And then as cryptozoologists came in, they didn't want to talk about it being a werewolf or a bipedal canid. So they just said, oh, it's it's a Bigfoot. You're seeing a Bigfoot. Uh, which is odd because the typical uh, description of Bigfoot that we've come to understand is much more primate in nature. Yes. Where it has a more human appearance. And these are obviously described as being dog or wolf-like. Yep. They have the muzzles and the pointy ears and everything. Kind of Anubis-like. Think of the Anubis pictures from the Egyptians. That's kind of what you're talking about head-wise. They have the really long snout, the really pointy ears. Most cryptozoologists seem to think the reports of the beast are that of a werewolf rather than a bipedal canid creature. So it throws the stories into a mythical realm, and they don't want to really take them seriously. So they try to force the evidence into a more acceptable interpretation, disregarding whatever circumstances and details of witness testimony that do not fit with their chosen hypothesis. So some say that all the fuss must be based around an escaped pet wolf a large feral dog, a bear, or some other creature that is known to exist. Which, it's disappointing for me, who amateur cryptozoology enthusiast here, um, it's disappointing that cryptozoologists would not look at the possibility of there being upright canids. Right. 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 That they immediately go to the cynical... Uh, you're just mistaken a bear. I think if you live in an area with bears, you're going to know what bears look like. Um, and we're going to get into a story where that was, that's brought up. Right. You know, right. the idea that it, it could have been a bear, but, you know, we're, we're going to talk about the fact that the the person that reported this knew what a bear looked like and knew that this was not a bear. So, but we'll get, we'll get into more details of that, but you're right. It, it is kind of, it is kind of disheartening to, to believe that a cryptozoologist would say, eh, you know, it's, it's just gotta be something that's already, we already know it's, it's maybe it's a, it's an outlier, you know, it's, it's a dog that's, that's bigger than the average dog or it, it is a bear or a really large wolf. That it just seems like, wait a minute, you are the guys that we come to for this stuff. Yeah, exactly. And, and you're dismissing this. You, yep. You'll believe all of this other stuff. Mm-hmm. But this, it seems maybe somewhat reasonable. You're like, eh. Yeah. Nah. Eh, yeah. I don't, and that, I don't that's, buy it. <laughs> that's the thing. I don't, I mean, Matt's about to get into the story. So, so we'll go through those. But you got something that, reasonably could exist even you know if you want to look at evolutionarily or whatever or you know just traits that maybe have been picked up because let's say um I'll, you know well i'll discuss m- more in detail my theories at the end but let's say you've got a subset of wolves in that area that for some reason, unknown to us, 
learn to walk bipedally for some reason, whether it be hunting purposes, they can see better by standing up, they can move faster through tangled underbrush, whatever. Well, those genes get passed on to their their kids. So you've got a subspecies of wolves that know how to walk on two legs. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's some outlandish creature from another dimension that's doing it. You may just have some trait that because you're pushing it off on a bear or a Bigfoot that you're not investigating that could be some, you know, showing the intelligence of these wolves or feral dogs. And it's just kind of going by the wayside because you're unwilling to 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 think of that idea at all i mean i i don't i don't get it yeah and and like i said these are the guys that you don't expect to do that right well honestly there are a lot of sightings of the beast of bray road or at least what was attributed to being the beast of bray road i'm i'm sure not all of them are. I'm sure many of them are exactly misidentified wolves, even bears. But in some of these, and we, we picked out some of the more more popular ones and, and some of the ones that you, you look at the behavior of this creature and it doesn't sound like, uh, you know, wolf, bear, dog whatever right, it, right. it it sounds like it it's working with a purpose so as adam mentioned the the first real documented uh case of a sighting with the beast of bray road dates all the way back to 1936 you know so almost 80 years ago mm-hmm. and it was uh reported by a man named mark shackleman and he claimed that he saw a talking half wolf. It was a half wolf, half man creature just east of Jefferson, Wisconsin, along Highway 18. Now, Shackleman was driving down the road when he saw the beast digging in an old Indian mound. Now, he described it as being covered in hair, over six feet tall when standing upright, with a muzzled face with the features of a canine and an ape. So I, 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 th- I think that's just the fact of if you see a canine on, a, on his hind leg standing up, it, it may have a little bit of an ape-like appearance. Right. But he said the, the beast's hands were very strange. They had a twisted thumb and only three fingers. Uh, Shackleman described this odor that just emanated from the beast and he described it as something similar to to rotting meat now shackleman would go back to that same spot the next day to see if the creature was still there it was and this time he said that it spoke a three-syllable word that sounded like gadara with the the like the second syllable emphasize mm-hmm. Gadara. So I'm I'm trying to say that in my best Beast of Bray Road <laughs> accent. Yeah, Gadara. <laughs> I was in Wisconsin, so maybe I, maybe 
Maybe that's the 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 beast word for cheese. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm playing. I love cheese, which makes me love Wisconsin. Um, but yeah, I mean, so that's odd. Um, that that this thing made a, made a sound that he interpreted as a word. Right. And I've heard people people have tried to translate that um, over the years after this sighting, and and there's not it gets close to, um, you know, ancient languages. Um, it, it, it's close to some of these ancient languages, so they think, well, maybe it's uh, it knew, it, you know, it's an ancient being, and it knew these languages. And that was supposed to mean something. Um, you know, other people have said, well, it's just a guttural noise that it made. Could have been. And he heard it as something. The, you know, the audio version of pareidolia. Yeah. You hear something, then you put a meaning to just random noises. So you don't believe that can happen? Uh, Google dogs that say, I love you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and you listen to a dog make this uh howly type bark with with yeah with the with the words i love you in your head and you're like that dog saying i love you yeah or i need to poo (laughs) one of the two so yeah i mean it's possible you know if you get it in your head that this means something you're gonna hear you're gonna hear it (laughs) gadara zool (laughs) yeah (laughs) all right let's jump ahead let's jump ahead a few years 1964 a man named dennis fulis had an encounter with the beast uh that was described by shackleman only this time it was in harvard illinois so we've we've ventured out of wisconsin not too far but we've we've gone across state lines with this thing so, still in a close enough area. Still though, in a close you know. enough area. I mean, they don't. They don't care. You know, they're not. They're not worried about state lines. No. Think about how far wolves travel in their hunting grounds. If this is a legit thing, that's a close walk for a wolf. You know. Oh yeah, yeah. But uh, Fulis says that around midnight, while driving home from his job at Admiral Television Corporation, he turned onto Highway 89 from Highway 14 when his headlights illuminated a strange creature running across the road. Now, he describes it as being dark brown in color and possibly weighing around 400 to 500 pounds with a height of seven or eight feet. Now, during, during the sighting, the beast ran across the road and jumped a barbed wire fence before Fulis lost sight of it. Now, when he returned to the location during the day, There was very little evidence except for an area where the beast had pushed corn aside as it ducked into a field. In an interview with author Jay Rath, Fulis said that, uh, quote, I was was awfully scared that night. That was no man. It was all hairy from head to feet. (laughs) So, again, you know, a a sighting like this at night, um, it sounds like it could have been a, a really large you know, wolf, mm-hmm. but you know, again, wolves typically don't run across the road. And if they were to run into a cornfield, a big wolf may flatten some corn, but maybe not push it aside. 
You know, yeah. I say, if I'm running into a cornfield, my arms are going to be out in front of me and I'm going to be like I'm swimming in it. Yeah, pushing you know, it so to if, the side. If, if that's what Fulis saw, where the corn was not trampled, it was pushed to the side as if something was running on two legs through the corn, you know, that's different. There's not going to be a, a, you know, a four-legged animal that's going to be running on, on all fours that's going to do anything like that. It's going to run over top of it, and yeah. it's going to trample it down. It's not going to push it to the side. So there's there's not a lot of clarity on how exactly the corn looked, but I thought it was interesting that they made a point of mentioning that in the sighting um, that the corn was pushed aside. Yeah. So, you know, again, I'm like, mm, well, big big wolf probably is not going to do that. No, I wouldn't think so. You you wouldn't have that dexterity in a in a large wolf. Yeah. In fact, the, you know, the ability even running on all fours, what's it going to push it aside with? Well, and you know, a, even a large wolf, you know, might be adept enough to not trample a lot of corn. Yeah. You know, to kind of wriggle its way through and and you know, you not see a lot of evidence that there was a path cut into the corn. Now, in 1972, a woman called the police department to report an attempted break-in. When she was interviewed by the Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources, the woman stated that the intruder was a large, unknown animal. Now, she says it approached her home and tried to enter through a door. Not something that dogs and wolves typically do. No. She also later reported that the beast returned to her home and injured a farm animal, inflicting a deep wound that extended from one shoulder to the other. So across its back, essentially. Yeah. Now, her description matches that of what became known as the Beast of Bray Road. Now, the only evidence left behind was a footprint, which measured over 12 inches in length. That's crazy for... You know, if you're saying it's a, a wolf, like if you're trying to pass it off as just a regular wolf, yeah. then wolves leave circular footprints. Right. But right. if you got a bipedal canid, you could have that ankle bone hitting back here mm-hmm. as it like jumps mm-hmm. or runs. It hits the pad and then its ankle bone kind of drops back a little bit and hits. So that's where you could get that 12 12 inch long print mm-hmm. is that it's that whole part of the leg hitting and that's still go measure your dog from uh you know tip of the paw back to that first ankle joint yeah that it's pretty you, long and yeah. that's that's why most people when they when they think about a, a dog's hind legs they think oh their knees are backwards well their their knees are not backwards no it's what you're seeing and you interpret as their knees are actually what Adam says is their ankle. Right. And and it, you if you they walk if you, on their tiptoes basically. They walk on their toes. And so, you know, what Adam is describing is legit. I mean, if 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 they were to have been running and they you know, made a large leap and landed and that that long bone that would make up their their ankle and foot and toes you know, lands on the ground, it, it could create a footprint that's about that size. Now, 
we've also heard Bigfoot stories like this, mm-hmm. you know, where, where Bigfoot would approach a house. Um, you know, I, I don't know that I've ever heard a Bigfoot story about them trying to come in a door. There's been a few. It's, it's not, it's not, it's not as common. They usually like beat on the side of the house or something. They don't yeah, try yeah. to work a door, but. So, you know, that, that's kind of interesting, which, which also points to maybe a, a higher intelligence. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't really say how they were trying to come in the door. Was the doorknob jiggling or was something just beating or scratching at the door? Yeah. So, you know, it doesn't really go into those kind of details, but the big footprint, you know, combined with that kind of makes you lean towards a Bigfoot sighting. But again, you know, that in inflicting that kind of damage and, and things like that, mm, more, more dog, man. I don't know. This one, this one could go either way. Yeah. They said her description matched the beast of Bray road. So she must have described something, you know, in the sense of a, a, snouted that yeah that's what i eared thing yeah that's what i thought too a a, a snout you mm-hmm. know that we wouldn't expect in in other descriptions of bigfoot right now matt imagine you're a parent nervously pacing around your injured child's hospital room a doctor begins asking you question after question about how your kid got hurt well you begin to realize that they are asking about your involvement in the accident Where were you when he fell? How did he actually fall? And then you slowly start to see that they think you hurt your child intentionally. Wondery and NBC News present Do No Harm, the terrifying true story of a family torn apart by the system that was supposed to protect them. Investigative reporter Mike Hixenbaugh chronicles what happened to the Bright family when their three kids are ripped away from them and the shocking moments that came next with exclusive audio captured as the events unfolded do no harm takes you inside the most harrowing moments of the bright family's fight to protect their children subscribe to do no harm on apple podcasts join wondery plus in the wondery app to listen one week early and ad free That's right. Go subscribe to Do No Harm on Apple Podcasts, or you can join the Wondery Plus in the Wondery app to listen one week early and ad-free. Now, oddly enough, the sightings ramp up considerably between the years of 1989 and 1999. That's weird. That's when I lived there. No, I'm just kidding. I never lived there, guys. I'm telling you what, y'all. Adam's got some big feet. Mm-hmm. And I'm hairy. So, and he's I hairy. Mean, and, you know, if you ever have you ever seen him jump? I mean, come yeah. on. Clear a barbed wire fence in a single bound. Right. And I, I like to go running at night, usually with my shirt off. <laughs> so, you know. I was, uh, sorry. Can you imagine you know, if I, this was all I just needed, a guy. Yeah. <laughs> right. I needed to stop for water that day. That was the only place I saw that had a light on. And I'm like, I'm going to try to get in. And then she starts calling the cops, screaming, Beast of Bray Road, and I freaked out and ran off. I didn't know what to do. I thought the beast was behind me. You know? <laughs> it's like, where? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
So, so yeah, so yeah, eighty nine ninety nine, a lot of sightings, and a, a number of these stories that were, you know were were reported, they claim to have seen the Beast of Bray Road. Now, understand the term Beast of Bray Road wasn't actually in use until 2003 when Linda Godfrey's book came out. So we're using that retroactively. Now, these reports finally came to light after one incident involving Doristine Gibson in 1999. So until then, most of the people were afraid to come forward because of out of out of fear of public ridicule or just general disbelief. Yeah, like you most know. sightings of things we get. Oh, you know, everybody's got that buddy. You know, hey, come here. I want you to talk to my my buddy Tom. Tom, come here and tell them this story. And yeah. and Tom will have some outlandish story about something that yeah. you know he's probably been telling for years and you know Tom's full of crap. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but but the story is good. So, yeah. you know, the the giant peacock man he saw out in the woods of Florida. You <laughs> yeah. know. So most people really? kind of have this idea. I don't I don't want to be Tom. You know, yeah, I, exactly. I don't want to have the story that I'm forced to tell over and over at parties about me seeing the beast of Bray Road and people are gonna be like, Oh, it's a great story. And then they're gonna go home and go, Can you believe that? Can yeah. you believe that they told that story? That fool actually believes he saw yeah. I, yeah. So but, so you know even even if you know it's true, that, that may that kind of stuff prevents you from just coming out and saying, "Right, okay, this is what I saw," and you know I know it was real, whether you believe me or not. Um, people worry about that stuff, and it, it's a shame that that keeps you know that that happens because think of how many sightings or stories of creatures we have lost because people were afraid to to tell it and maybe they passed on now or whatever. And we've lost these sightings because we, as a people ridicule you, if you have, you know, stories of weird encounters. And I, and I just, I, I, I love the idea of, of these local cryptids where people will have heard stories like from their grandparents mm-hmm. and, you know, maybe they never came forward because, you know, 50 years ago, this was the case. You know, you you don't want to tell a story like that because you might lose your job. You know, we right. can't have this crackpot working for us. Right. You know, well, you got to go. You know, you lose your job at the hardware store or something because everybody in town knows that you're the, you're the loony that tells this story about seeing a werewolf or something. Mm-hmm. You're not going to say anything, but you you might tell your grandkids about it. You know, yeah. you get older and you're like sitting around and you're like, come here, kids. I'm going to tell you this story. I would imagine that there are tons of these type stories. If we've got this many reported sightings, there have bound to be more that just never, never got documented. They were oh, yeah. just passed down from, you know, older generations. And if you've heard those, send them to us for our Christmas episode. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know that we have listeners in, in that area. Yep. And and you're bound to have heard other stories about the beast of Bray Road. It's it's far too common. I mean, it's like growing up in Middle Tennessee, you're going to somebody you know is going to have a bell witch story. It's just how yep. it is. You know, you know, you you're going to meet an older individual 
Heck, I worked I worked with a lady. We've told this story on the show before. I worked with a lady who had a Bell Witch story, a personal Bell mm-hmm. Witch story. So I got to think, if we've got listeners in, in, in Wisconsin, in northern Illinois, um, the, you've, you've bound to have been told a story that we're not touching on here. But I'm right. gonna I'm gonna go through these kind of out of order, and and I'll I'll tell you why because it was Doris Dean Gibson's story that brought these other stories to light. So even though they may have happened before, they had not been reported yet. So I'm essentially going to give you these stories in the order that they were reported. Now on October 31st, 1999, how apropos on, yeah. on Halloween night, right? 18-year-old Doris Dean Gibson was driving on Bray Road near Delavan, Wisconsin. As her vehicle approached an intersection with Hospital Road, her right tire was jolted as if it was lifted off the ground like she had rolled over something pretty big. Mm -hmm. Now, she stopped and got out of the car to see what she had hit. But as she peered into the darkness, she noticed a large, hairy figure moving quickly towards her. Now... She was scared, as any of us would be, so she jumped back in her car and started it, and as she pulled away, this creature jumped onto the back of her trunk. Now, the the beast couldn't get a hold of, of, of the car because it was it was wet, and it slid off. So she returned later that night while trick-or-treating with another girl and saw a large form along the road. So, again, this is one of these things where we've got multiple stories where people see this creature, go back, and it's still there. Mm -hmm. So it's it's obviously not going, oh, no, I've been spotted. I've got to get out of here. No, it's just like. It's not afraid. No, it's it's not afraid at all. And, you know, if it's going to hang around, it's going to hang around until it's done doing what it's going to do, and then it'll move on. Right. So, around, Can you imagine, though, getting having something jump on the back of your car like that? Oh, that would, that I mean, would terrify me. Yeah, I wouldn't have driven back later that night. No, which that shocked me when I read that. It was like, she went back trick-or-treating. I'm like, yeah. what? I'd have Why? forgotten all about trick-or-treating. I I just had a, a giant dog man jump on the back of my car. I've I've got to clean my car because I have now defecated <laughs> all over the inside of it. And you said that I was like, "Well, you got to clean your car because you got dog man hair all over it." Yeah, no, 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 hair. no. The inside. No. It was a doo doo joke. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, <laughs> and we digress <laughs> uh, once again. <laughs> but you know, at the at the time of Gibson sighting, there was a dairy farmer named Scott Bray who came forward admitting that he had also seen a quote unquote strange looking dog in his pasture near Bray Road in September or October of 1989. So ten years before. He hears he hears this story in '99, and he goes, "Hmm, I remember something similar happening to me about ten years ago." Now, Bray uh, Bray's description is of a creature that's larger and taller than a German Shepherd, 
with pointed ears, a hair-covered tail, and gray and black fur. Now, he said the beast seemed to be a lot bulkier in the front with a very strong chest. And he tried to follow this creature, and, and it came to a large pile of rocks where he lost sight of it. Now, um, there was proof of this occurrence because it had left behind very large footprints. Mm-hmm. So, again, not, not proof that it was the beast of Bray Road, but proof that he wasn't crazy or making it up because there was actually some large creature there uh, right. that he had tried to follow to identify. Could that one have been a very large dog? Quite possibly. Possibly, um, yeah. But you would think if you see these really large footprints, you're going, well, that's no dog or or that's that's the biggest dog that I have ever seen in my life. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, when you see those kind of those kind of things like footprints, then you, you've got to wonder, OK, something was here. So it's it's not it's not a situation where your mind's playing tricks on you, where you see something that's not really there. Yeah. Or you and it's not ethereal. Right. Or it doesn't. Right. It's know, a physical being. Right. Right. So now Russell Guest reported another sighting around the same time of Scott Bray's in 1989. Now, he said he was about a block away from an overgrown area where he heard brush being rustled as if an animal was in there. The beast appeared standing on its hind legs. Now, Guest said that it took a couple of wobbly steps forward before he ran away. Now, as he ran, Guest says he looked over his shoulder to see if he was being followed, and he noticed that the beast had gone down on all fours but wasn't chasing him and eventually wandered back towards Bray Road. Now, Guest describes the beast also as covered in black and gray fur, much larger than a German shepherd, and he estimated its upright height at around five feet uh, with an oversized dog or wolf head, a wide neck and shoulders. And he believed it to be some kind of dog wolf hybrid because its primary features were canine. Right. Now, the interesting thing in this story to me is the shoulders. Now, I mean, you know, I look, I have bulldogs. I have big bulldogs. So I, I know... I know what a big stocky dog is going to look like and what a dog's shoulders would look like. Now, even even with my dog sitting up and, and seeing them across their chest as wide as they are, they don't really have the appearance of, of shoulders that, you know, you would look at them and go, shoulders. Right. You know what right. I'm saying? You know, you, you look at it and you say, yeah, it's, you know, it's a dog, you know, it's... It, yeah, you know, it's kind of narrow there, but, you know, even a wide dog, you know, you don't really, oh, it's got a big wide chest, but you don't really think it's got broad shoulders. Sure. So something like this really does sound more like, you know, a, a more humanoid canine creature. Right. So it, it. And then you add the wobbly steps on the two back legs, and then it dropped to all fours. You know, that. That kind of lends some credence to what I was saying about maybe they go back and forth from bipedally to quadrupedally. Yeah. You know. But again, it it makes you think, okay, could this be an unidentified 
canine creature. Yep. You know, that yep. that would would have a tendency to go up on its hind legs, maybe not permanently, obviously right. not in this case, but to give the appearance when it's up of having broad shoulders. You know, yeah, that's one of the big biggest differences, like you're saying. Yeah, I mean, you think think about what human shoulders can do, where you can, you know, bring your arms wide, like you're going to give somebody a mm-hmm. big old hug. Dogs don't do that, right? You know, dog shoulders, you know, their 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 front legs don't open up like that. Yeah, you know, you ever seen a dog jump at you? They don't spread their legs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. But in order to do that, you would have to have broad shoulders. So what if there is some type of canine creature that does have that, yep. you know, a, a much broader reach? It would an adaptation for hunting purposes sure. and, and dexterity purposes. It learned to walk bipedally to be able to hunt or see better. And then it developed those shoulders for hunting purposes or, you know, trapping its prey or climbing or whatever the case may be. And that would, like you said, give broader shoulders to this mostly canid creature, you know, and that's if it is a legit, like, a a species that has evolved into this. If it were a a whole new species of cryptid, then that's just how it is, you know? Yeah, exactly. Now, still in 1989... Bar manager Lori Andreezy was driving along Bray Road, and as she rounded a corner, she saw what she initially thought was a human being kneeled or hunched along the side of the road. So she slowed down to take a look through the passenger side window. Now, she says she was roughly six feet away from the figure and got a look at it for about 45 seconds. Six feet away and 45 seconds. That's, that's a, a long time. It's a long time in a short distance, mm-hmm. you know, but she described it as a beast with gray brown fur, fangs, and pointed ears. She said it had a long face with a snout like a wolf. She also stated that its eyes glowed yellow, even though her headlights were not reflecting on them at that point. She said its arms were jointed like a human's. And it seemed to hold its food with its palms up, which is really unlike any animal native to that area. Yeah, dogs can't turn its paws like right. That. They can't, you know. You can, the you, wrist don't you, spin. Dog dogs don't eat at cafeterias because they can't carry the tray. Okay, right. <laughs> right. So, so they can't do that. She said the beast was muscular with a human esque with human esque fingers adorned with claws. Now, Andreezy could not see a tail, but she says its back legs were behind it, similar to a person that was kneeling. So she obviously got a really good look at this thing. Yeah, that's very detailed. Yeah. And I I don't know, 45 seconds. God, you think about 45 seconds. That's a long mm-hmm. time to be that close to anything. That's the That right there is about the only thing in this story that makes me really go, hmm. But again, you, 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 you're scared by something when you see that. Maybe, you know, a few seconds is going to feel like, you know, minutes. Yeah. You know, it seems like, you know, when you're really, really frightened by something, time kind of slows down. So, oh, yeah. You know, 45 seconds could be just an estimate, and it really wasn't that long. 
Yeah, um, her time could be off, but still. But still, she obviously saw it long enough to get a good look and, and to make this description. I mean, especially yeah. with the way that it was holding, you know, what it was eating. Um, that right there, you know, really speaks to what we were talking about in the previous story of, you know, some type of canine creature that may have, you know, arms and shoulders that can do what the the typical canine cannot. So, you know, either we're looking at, you know, a true cryptid or an undiscovered species here that right. has, you know, has developed or evolved over time to, you know, to utilize, you know, four legs that work a little different than the typical dog. Right. And again, to have cryptozoologists push it off as, Oh well, you're seeing a uh, a werewolf, and and we don't take werewolf sightings. Uh, you know, we we don't believe in these werewolf sightings, so they're missing out on investigating something that quite possibly could be a huge discovery. Right now, this is this is kind of interesting here on this next sighting. We're gonna we're gonna kind of link these things together heather bowie who was 11 years old at the time claimed to have had a similar incident to doristine gibson's 1999 sighting now this one occurred around christmas of 1990 she had no idea that her story was similar to gibson's until the two were discussing it on the school bus now bowie's story was passed on by the bus driver pat lester who just happened to be Lori Andreezy's mother. Now, Lester told Linda Godfrey what she had overheard, and Bowie later elaborated when she was asked about the incident. Now, Bowie's sighting occurred around 4.30 p.m. while she was on her way home from sled riding with friends. She was near Loveland Road, which is about a mile and a half southeast of the intersection of Hospital Road and Bray Road, which is where the Gibson sighting occurred. And she says they saw a large dog walking along a creek in a cornfield. Bowie estimated the creature was about a block away. Assuming it to be a dog, the children called out to it. Noticing, it's, noticing the children, the creature watched them, then stood up on its hind legs. It took four steps in their direction, Although she says it appeared to be unaccustomed to walking on its hind legs, it then dropped down to all fours and charged the children. Now, Bowie claimed that the creature was able to leap a bigger leap than dogs run. So the group of kids ran away and the beast followed them about halfway to Bowie's home, which was about 250 yards from where they spotted it before it, it turned and went another direction. Man, be yeah. chased by something like that. So we're yeah, I mean that that's that's a terrifying experience. But you can tell. I mean, you know, if we're talking about a child here, and they saw what they thought was a dog. Yep. You know, maybe a big dog, but at a distance, you know, you just think eh, it's a big dog. You don't think, oh my god, that's an enormous dog. <laughs> yeah. And and you know, they even said that they called to it you know, trying to get it to come over to them. But then I guess when it stood up, they quickly realized, wait, 
This is that ain't no dog. This is not a dog that we want to mess with. Yep. Um, and then of course when it's chasing them, they ran from it. Um, but the connection on this story with with Bowie and Gibson, you know, later after Gibson sighting, sharing this experience on the school bus, and then Pat Lester, the school bus driver, being Lori and Dreezy's mother, who had also had a very similar experience back in 1989 mm-hmm. and so you start piecing all these together and then you get linda godfrey into it and and she's doing exactly what adam and i are doing tonight she's going okay this is not a coincidence right okay. they they right. are all these people are seeing essentially the same thing what is it 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 right. doesn't sound like it's somebody's lost dog it no. sounds like it it is something completely different, even if it has dog-like qualities. Now, and it's not a bear because it it has the dog-like qualities. You know, the, the, the descriptions of people who have seen it up close is it's nothing like a bear. And it doesn't really seem to behave like a bear. No. I mean, you know, I've I've seen I've seen bears. Um, I've, I've never been in a situation where I was close enough to a bear that I felt like I was in danger. Um, but I kind of know how they act and bears act like you are an annoyance Mm -hmm. and I would just assume they have cubs around you go away than to approach me or have anything to do with me. Now, of course, if you if a bear feels threatened by you, then it's a whole nother whole nother ballgame. Yeah. Especially, I mean, if we're if we're talking about black bears, you know, yeah. which are which are much more common in in Tennessee, um, but you know there, you know there have been sightings of grizzly bears in the Smoky Mountains, um, which you know again if you if you come across a grizzly bear out in the woods, then I'll I'll pray for your family. Um, Amen. Because they, they, they don't, they don't want to be bothered, and and and, and your lunch, <laughs> right? Well, but, you know, and you said not acting like a bear. What bear do you know would chase a car and jump on the back of? Yeah, it? none. Right. I mean, it'll chase you. You know, yeah. I, I could see a grizzly chasing your car, but it's not going to leap from the road onto the back of your car. And then still be hanging around that area when you come back a little bit later. And, you know, and bears, even though bears can and do rear up on their hind legs, and, you know, everybody has seen videos of bears walking on their hind legs, mm-hmm. you know, and I mean, not just circus bears, you know, we're talking about, oh, you yeah. know, this is something they do routinely. It's really difficult for me to hear all these descriptions of what sounds like a canine to actually be a bear. I mean, the, you know, mm-hmm. that, that what well, you go look for yourself. You don't have to take my word for it. Go, go look at a, go look at a, at a video of a dog reared up on its hind legs or a wolf or any kind of canine. And then look at a bear. Does, does a bear not look more human when it's on its hind legs as far as, it's build and it's joints and what it's, I mean, bears arms do go out. I mean, a bear can give you a hug. I mean, mm-hmm. come on. They don't call it a bear hug because <laughs> they can't move their arms that way. I mean, they absolutely can. 
so a, a bear has a much more human appearance. I mean, that's why you, you see a dude in a bear suit and he kind of looks more like a bear. Um, right. you put a, put a dude in a dog suit. He's, he's going to look like a dude in a dog suit. Yeah, exactly. So I, I don't, I, I don't like the idea of this being a bear. And I, you know, I haven't looked into how common bears are in that area. I would assume in rural Wisconsin, they're pretty common. You know, I mean, you know, if you get up into the mountains or out in the woods, yeah, I mean, you're, you're probably going to run across, you know, a black bear or a brown bear or something like that. But, you know, they, you know, it's coming down on the road and all this other kind of stuff. It just doesn't fit to me. You know, and I mean, I'm no right. bearologist. I mean, I don't know. You probably people are probably going to come on and be like, Matt knows nothing about bears, <laughs> <laughs> and you're probably right. I just looked this up, Matt. Uh, Wisconsin is home to a thriving black bear population, estimated at more than twenty four thousand bears, um, but is located in the far northern third of the state. Um, so further north than where we're talking about, right? Pretty sure, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, I I know roughly, you know, I know roughly where Milwaukee is, mm-hmm. um, and this and this area is forty miles southeast. Am I am I correct? Do I remember that right? Yep. Okay, so you know, it's not out of the realm of possibilities that maybe some of these were a bear, but these that have really good descriptions, it does not sound like a bear at all. No, you're, you know, Elkhorn is in the kind of the middle right side of the state. So if they're talking the northern third, it's not around that area, really. Now, you know, as we're talking about bears, we're going to talk about another sighting by another farmer named Mike Etten. Now, he made a report in uh, of a sighting in March of 1990 where he admitted to have been drinking around the time, but claims he saw a dog-like beast that was much larger than a domesticated canine. Now, he described it as sitting like a raccoon, using its front paws to hold on to something it was eating near Bray Road uh, or the Bray Road Hospital Road intersection. Now, as he passed by, the beast looked at him with a thick, wide snout that Etten described as shorter than a dog's muzzle. Now, its legs were thick and covered in dark hair, but initially, Etten says that he dismissed this creature as a bear. But after hearing similar reports in 1991, he began to question what he saw, if it was really a bear or if he just misidentified it. So there is there is one account that uh, that Jeff dug up for us that I'm going to share. Now, this is a personal account, and it's from this time frame, from the 1989 to 1999 um, period, um, you know. So, we're, according to the story, it's it's roughly um, roughly 1997, 98, you know, somewhere in there. And it says that, uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna this story is quoted, so I'm just gonna read it. It says, "I lived in the town of Franklin, Wisconsin. We had just moved into a brand new subdivision." and were currently the only house that was built. The rest of the area for a long distance was empty lots on what used to be the adjoining farm's old land. Our backyard had a running creek, and on the other side of the creek was some brush and a single-laid road 
with wooden with a wooden street light that gave off an orange hue about 30 yards away. It was a warm summer night, and I was having a sleepover with one of my friends. We had all the lights off and were playing hide-and-seek in the dark. I went back into our sunroom and saw something crouched over, uh, crouched over, illuminated through the brush and the orange streetlight. I'm not sure how to describe its body posture. You know how when you're about to throw up and you hunch over on your knees and palms? <laughs> it was similar to that. Its breasts were so deep and heavy that you could see its chest heaving from that distance. We had a 140-pound Akita who stood six feet on his hind legs, and I could easily tell that whatever this was dwarfed my Akita. Wow. I know that it wasn't any type of dog or wolf. Its hind legs were thick and muscular like a man's, but its body tapered at the abdomen, and the head was like a wolf or a canine. I called out to my friend who came over and just said, what the F is that? (laughs) (laughs) Same reaction I'd have. (laughs) Exactly. Says we sat there as it was hunched for a good 30 minutes. It's like my dad, who was a Vietnam vet, came out to see what we were doing up so late. We asked what it was, and he said, I don't know. He then went outside as we stayed in and he had one of those old mega mega lights, they said, that had the power of a thousand candles and, yeah. and took it with him. He stood in the driveway and shined it and shined it onto whatever we were watching. It looked back at us and says, I honestly don't remember its eye color. What I do remember is that when it took off into the brush, it took off upright like a sprinter uh, from the uh, the down on all four stands. So my dad heard it splash through the creek and hightailed it. Said it was one of those those messed up moments that you don't really talk about because people would think you were crazy. When I heard about it so many years later, I immediately knew that I had seen it too. So, you know, this story, I like this story because it has it has a believable quality to it. Even though right. it's it's not, you know the 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 author of the story isn't documented. Um, it you know when people tell stories, this is how they tell stories. Right. You know, they you know they include little details that they believe are going to help you understand the situation, including you know the the orange street light, um, you know their dad being involved in it, you know the way that it ran. You know their friends' reactions. Yep. You you include those things when you're te- when you're when you're making something up. You probably don't include other people, um, right? And and right. and their reactions and things that they said. So you know, as you as you tell a story like this, you know when when you start adding this together, you begin to believe. Okay, this person is telling the truth. So in the way that it ran is very telling. To me, right, right, because they said it ran like a sprinter starting to run. Now, if you scare any animal, let, let's say that was a bear sitting out there eating and you scared it, it's not going to jolt up and take off running like Usain Bolt. You know, it it's going to it'll drop down to all fours. Right. Bears will go the opposite way. They may be standing up to feed. And then if it runs away, it's down on all fours. Yeah. 
it it's not going to sit there feeding on all fours and then you know stand up and run off so that that's very a very telling description to me that it's something different yeah it's not something natural to that area yeah i agree i agree wholeheartedly now this last one we're going to talk about it's it's interesting and i included it for a reason and it'll make sense here in just a minute um and and then doubt then it we're, but okay <laughs> <laughs> then, then we're, we're going to kind of go into a little bit more about what we think this might be now this one occurred in 2006 now, November on November 9, 2006, Steve Kruger had one of the most infamous sightings of, of this beast. Now, Kruger had been contracted to drive up and down roads and collect roadkill. Now, he says around 1.30 a.m., he noticed a deer on the side of the road. Now, he noted that it was fresh because the carcass was still limp. So he, he got the deer into the bed of his truck, and he went into the cab to make notes. He had left the tailgate down and suddenly felt the truck shake. Now, believing it was the wind, he continued working. But when he felt the truck shake again, more violently, he checked the rearview mirror. And Kruger saw the beast standing behind the truck. And he said the beast had pulled the deer and the ramp he used to get the deer into the truck out of the bed. Now, Steve says he pulled away hastily, but realizing that he needed that ramp to do his job, he finally decided that he would go back, hoping that the beast had moved on. Now, when he arrived, he said there was no sign of the beast, the deer, or the ramp. Kruger continued on his route, but couldn't get the sighting out of his head. So around 4.30 a.m., Steve said he decided that he had to report it to the sheriff regardless of what it may do to his reputation. He said he was careful not to use words like Bigfoot or werewolf. He described it as looking like a black bear standing on its hind legs, but with a wolf's head. He estimated the height to be six to seven feet, but admits that he only saw the chest, shoulders, and head. Now, Later interviews with Steve led investigators to believe that he had not seen the Beast of Bray Road, but instead saw the bear wolf of Holy Hill, <sighs> which, which kind of leads me to think, what in the hell is going on in Wisconsin? I mean, yeah, no joke, right? A guy sees a possible cryptid, reports it, and then investigations occur that tell him, no, you didn't see this cryptid. You saw this other cryptid. <laughs> right. That right. that may be the first time I've ever heard that. <laughs> yeah. A, a cryptid explained away with another That's cryptid. Exactly we right. always we always hear cryptid explained away with you know, bear or or you saw a you know, you saw a, an owl yeah, or <laughs> you know it was a great horned owl. Not another or cryptid. something. Right. But that, that's like uh, what we were talking about a little bit ago. You've got people saying dog men are, are Bigfoot. Well, why why are we doing that? Right. You know, why are we explaining away a bipedal canid for, a, 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 you know, possible great ape or, or something like that? I don't I don't understand the the desire to explain it away like that. I know. And, and the whole idea that that uh, Wisconsin is covered with 
multiple cryptids like this. You know, mm-hmm. that you know, you've got this 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 bipedal canine creature run, running around and then you've got this bear wolf hybrid running around. It sounds like the makings of like a Godzilla versus King Kong movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So Adam, if if it's if it's not Bigfoot, if if we're thinking it's not a bear, then let's kind of talk about what we think it might be. All right. And and we're going to leave man bear pig out of it, right? <laughs> it had hoofs. It was kind of pink, <laughs> but it had a wolf's head and it said blah blah right. blah. blah. <laughs> so in in our thoughts, I I personally am in the camp of this being a cryptid all on its own. It, it's not Bigfoot. It's not a werewolf. It's not some misidentified wolf of the area, you know, that that's standing up bipedally like I've been talking about this whole episode. That's a possibility, but that's not where I land in my thinking, right? Yeah. That's just a, a possible explanation for it. But, you know, I, I think it is in and of itself its own cryptid because I think we have to take all the sightings together and we have to take all the descriptions together and it like you said with the shoulders with the way it um has been seen on several occasions squatted down eating something that it's holding something in its front paws so it's learned to use its front paws or or you know its front paws are dexterous enough to be able to use its fingers for grasping right right yeah so take that into account we take into account the shape um like you described a couple times narrows at the waist and then you know comes out kind of in a v up to the shoulders Mm -hmm. and it's got muscular legs i think we're looking at a cryptid all on its own a a wolf man or a dog man whatever same thing but it's described as you know it's said two different ways by whoever you're talking to. And one of the theories that we didn't touch on at all in this episode, but that I wanted to throw out there to you that Linda Godfrey talks about in her book is you look at the 1936 sighting where it was on a burial mound, right? What if it is actually a guardian entity of native american mounds or religious areas or whatever because in that area there are a lot of native american you know indigenous american sites right and there are stories of of medicine men calling upon creatures similar to this to protect their lands their you know fallen brothers and sisters or or their religious areas so what if it's something like that it's actually a guardian spirit of that area mm-hmm. and i i'm not sold on that but it's a theory that i've heard linda talk about and and in other places so i wanted to throw that at you and see what you thought about that theory you know i i can i can understand 
the reasoning behind that theory because we've we've talked about other guardian spirits in Native American folklore. Right. And you know, Native American spirits typically take on the form of animals. And it, it it's not again, if you're gonna buy into the fact that there's possibly some kind of creature that has has been in this area for, you know, maybe even a hundred years or more, mm-hmm. um, then you know you can you can kind of begin to open up yourself to the idea that it's it's not necessarily an indigenous creature that it it's more of a spiritual being that takes on a corporal form. Right. You know, where it would it could cause damage to a vehicle, it would leave footprints. It it would you know, apparently hunt and feed but all in the realm of protecting this area. You know, I I, I like I like that idea. Um I I don't know that I necessarily and and putting that at the top of the list of what I think this might be, but I I do yeah, like sure. it. But but sticking with the idea of of Native American legends, there have been many people that have theorized that it's a Wendigo. Yep. Um, you know, uh, uh, the this it, it does have some similarities to the description of Wendigos, with maybe the exception of the of of the antlers. You know, we, we, right. we've heard a lot of Wendigo descriptions where, you know, the, you see the antlers and you see that in a lot of a lot of the artwork um, that, that people have done depicting a Wendigo. You don't hear that here. Right. Sure. Um, but that doesn't mean that that's not possibly what it is. But understanding what the folklore of the Wendigo says, you know, if you if you meet one, you're done. I mean, sure. You're not going to outrun it. It's not going to leave you alone. That once it's targeted you, it's gonna it's gonna be on you un- until it gets you. Yeah, it's not something that you see in passing and maybe not yeah. see again the rest of your life. But then there's even other people that have theorized that because of the the heavy Native American culture that is in that area of Northern Illinois, Southern Wisconsin. Um, that it could possibly be a skinwalker. Right. And that was my thought, too, that I was going to bring up to you. Um, we talked about some very similar things when we talked about Skinwalker Ranch. Yeah. You know, large canids that stand up on two legs at the side of the road, but also have been seen running quadrupedally next to cars, you know, keeping pace with cars. Right. So... Yeah, that that again, my mind goes there too. Is that it's whether it be a skinwalker or whether this is confused for skinwalkers. You know, they say they see this in other places and say it's a skinwalker. I don't know, but yeah, that, my mind went there too. And again, that that kind of takes on this. Well, they don't. They're not finding dead ones. Mm-hmm. But again, how would you know? Right. You you find a, a a dead carcass of a really large wolf or what you believe is a really large dog. That's what you think yep. it is. Because yep. it, you have no reason to inspect further to maybe see any differences. And even if you did, would you find any? Right. I mean, you know, you you do uh uh you know, necropsy on one of these animals 
is it going to show you anything that's out of line with just a, a large version of, of whatever animal you may believe it is? Right. It, Only in a few stories did we hear that it had different paws. Right. So right. most of the other stories, it they didn't bring in that feature, so it may not physically show any difference. So everything else would be, you know, behavioral characteristics that separate right. it from what we would think of as, you know, a, a traditional wolf or dog. Right. So it's it's pretty interesting and it's and it's a heck of a lot of fun to to talk about you know the possibility that there are these creatures that exist um but in this case i personally feel like there's something to all these sightings yeah i mean i i know that you wouldn't get this many sightings that are so similar over a span of as many years as that they occurred that would just be completely falsified or right. so exaggerated that what they really saw was just a big dog. Yeah. There's yeah. there's all there's always little pieces to each sighting that make you go, eh, that is not a wolf. You know, yep. that is not a dog Absolutely. Uh, that that we know about. Right. And that's one of like you said, this is one of the um the cryptids that I have the most faith in maybe is a good way to put it. Mm-hmm. Um, faith in being a legit creature out there, you know, it and Bigfoot because it it's the, the detailed descriptions that we have, the number of sightings that we have, the, the fact that Linda Godfrey has been able to, get so many accounts together for so many books. You know, if it was just a one-off local legend, she wouldn't have, you know, there wouldn't be meat on the bone to keep, you know, coming up with these sightings. So I I feel like it, it brings some more legit legitimacy to it. And you bring up a good point. The, you know, if it was a local legend to me, the similarities would be stronger. That, mm-hmm. that the stories would be much more similar. And there's yep. subtle differences with all of them. Yeah. Which would which Location would indicate, being one of them. Yeah, which would indicate to me more than one. You know, we're not talking about, you know, a, a supernatural creature that's lived for hundreds of years. We're talking about yep. multiple creatures. Right. You know, that have somehow managed to avoid identification whether it's because they're too intelligent or, you know, b- because they are so similar to, you know, dogs and wolves that if a hunter is out there and he sees a wolf, he's, he's going, dad gum, that is a huge wolf. I think I'm going to go the other way mm-hmm. and just immediately dismisses it as something he doesn't want to mess with. Maybe he doesn't right. see it standing on its hind feet. You know, mm-hmm. maybe it's not doing that at the time. So there's no telling how many people may have seen a creature like this and the behavior wasn't there at the time, but it was something large enough that they said, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to take the next elevator. <laughs> I'm, yep, not, I'm, exactly. not gonna, I'm not going to get any closer to see what exactly this is. Cause in your mind, you're going, that's a really big wolf. 
Yeah, and, and I don't want to mess. I run the I don't risk really want to mess with a small wolf. <laughs> yeah, right, <laughs> you know? right, right. So, yeah, I mean, it it seems to be one of the most legitimate, and and I think that's why it has over the past few years come up in the rankings for me of a you know a favorite cryptid of mine because of the stories and the legitimacy of it and just the the nature of how I could see an actual creature evolving into that or you know it, it being mistaken most of the time for a regular creature and not a dogman and then the fact that it's happened not just in the Bray Road, you know, Elkhorn, Wisconsin area, but all over the world in one form or another. Right. And, you know, so like we said earlier, if you live in that Elkhorn, Wisconsin area and have heard stories of this, please send them to us and let us know what you guys think. You know, are you on the same page Matt and I are on where this could be legitimate? You know, that we just need to put more effort into trying to find it. Um, and also, are you as upset with cryptozoologists as Matt and I are and think they need to take this a little more seriously and, you know, do some more research into it and be maybe as serious about it as Linda is? Yeah, right. So what do you think? You know, do, do you guys feel like that there's possibly a creature that, you know, inhabits this this area of the United States? that people have seen? Do you think it's just a, a misidentified wolf or dog? Do you think it's a bear, you know, or is it something else? Let us know. And a great place to do that is over social media. Um, and you can find us on uh, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And when you're searching us on uh, Facebook, take a look at our, uh, our Facebook group. You know, we've got Mm-hmm. We've got so many great members and and a lot of really good discussion and and this is where we get these type of stories and it's a safe place you know if you've got an experience like this you can come in and you can tell it and know that this group is going to accept it and 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 uh, you know offer ideas and thoughts without criticism and right. uh, that's what's so great about the the graveyard Facebook group. Um, but as we say every show, um, please, if you haven't already, go and rate and review us on iTunes. That is how we make it up the chart. And even though it does uh, boost Adam and uh, my ego a little bit, uh, <laughs> it helps uh, people find us easier, which brings more people into the graveyard. You can, right. you can check out our website. It's graveyardpodcast.com. And there you can find links to purchase Graveyard Tells merchandise, much as the uh, the 8-bit logo a skull mic that I'm wearing tonight. Uh, Love that logo. But you can you can find coffee mugs and posters and uh, even baby onesies on there. Um, but you can also find out a little bit more about Adam and myself, uh, and you can become a patron. And we always thank everyone that has donated to the show. It's truly what allows Adam and I to keep going, putting out better quality for our listeners. So, right. Until next time. We'll save you a seat in the graveyard. See you soon. And then drop down to all fours and char and char la la la.